Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. Uh, I wanted to just flag again that uh, we are on the uh, platformreformpodcast.com with other podcasts. Check us and uh, other podcasts out there at reformpodcast.com. Uh, and today we're going to be going through uh, doing more, I guess, of a lesson slash devotional setting. Uh, we're going to be going through a book of the Bible in one episode, uh, which is going to be interesting. But it's a small book. It's one of the, the small epistles. Um, it's the book of Jude. And we're going to try and cover at least some of the major themes in that book today uh, between us and Sean. So with that, I'll turn it over to Sean. He'll give the background of the book and the historical setting before we start exegeting the text. Sean, take it away. Yeah, so as the uh, title might imply, this is written by Jude. Um, now, there's a little bit of a dispute over whether this is the Apostle Jude or uh, Jude, the brother of Jesus. I personally take that it's the brother of Jesus for um, a couple reasons. First, um, Jude doesn't identify himself as an apostle. And in fact, in verse 17, um, he describes the apostles and it appears he's talking them about them as if they were a separate group from himself. So uh, I would take that for him to not be uh, an apostle. Also, he identifies himself as the brother of James. Now, this would have to be a very well-known James um, in order for him to just be able to say, oh, I'm the brother of James, and uh, his readers would uh, know who that was. And there's really only well one well-known James in the, um, the New Testament, and that is James, the brother of Jesus, as uh, Paul describes in uh, Galatians 1.19. Um, similarly, even though James is uh, the brother of uh, Jesus, he doesn't identify himself as the brother in his epistle. And so we wouldn't necessarily expect Jude, if he were the brother of G uh, Jesus, to identify himself as such, um, probably for the... Uh, sake of uh, humility. But regardless of what, uh, whether or not you take my view or another view, uh, this is the word of God, just because there might be a little bit of uncertainty in regards to who the author precisely was. We don't base uh, the fact that it is the word of God purely on the author. Uh, it, uh, as uh, uh, we read through this, hopefully it will evidence itself to you that it is indeed the word of God. And um, just a brief overview of what... Um, the book is about before we begin jude is um basically dealing with uh false teachers what they are and uh how we should think about them and uh so hopefully this will be uh helpful in the time we live in as all the word of god is so with that i'll turn it back to dan thanks sean um yeah so it is a book addressing specifically false teachers not exactly sure what false teaching he is addressing um but the principles are there for how to address those in the church that are seeking to teach those things that are contrary to sound doctrine. And so we're going to look at some of those principles uh, today. So we're going to read through, or try to read through the entire book um, and stop as we go along to exegete and talk about some of the, the items found in the book. So let's go ahead and uh, dive into the book. So verse one. Uh, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that 
was once for all delivered to the saints, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long, long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts off immediately diving into the theme of his book, that this book is addressing those who come into the church and seek to disrupt it with false teaching. And what's interesting is James uh, says that they will essentially uh, be sneaking into the church. They will come in looking just like you. They will pretend to be Christians. They will uh, not necessarily be obvious to all. They creep in. So they pose as Christians who are coming in uh, pretending to worship Christ, but they have ulterior motives. They're coming in to uh, deny Christ. They're coming in to spread false teachings about the word of God or, or whatever it might be. And he also points out that they were long ago designated for this condemnation, uh, you know, to, to those who uh, want to uh, dismiss the decree of God that is reinforced here, even for the false teachers in Christ's church. So we see that God's purpose and his plan, even in the false teacher's sin, is still being worked out uh, through here as well. They are essentially predestined to this end, uh, but they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Lord and master, Jesus Christ. And this is similar to what we see in second Peter, second Peter two chapter two is almost, it is probably a, the best parallel that you can find with regards to the book of Jude, because the, the same themes are pretty much covered there. Second uh, Peter two verse one says, but false teachers also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. But and you can see here with the language of Peter says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies? They're sneaking in the church as well. They are pretending to be Christians and they bring in secretly these destructive heresies. It's not necessarily obvious to everybody um, around them. It's something that they have to uh, kind of bring out later, so to speak, that comes out later. But it, they sneak in the church. And this is really why false teachers, I think, are so dangerous, is they pose as uh, those who are uh, brothers in Jesus Christ. They pose as those who pretend or are worshiping God, and pre they pretend to worship God. And I think that makes their false teaching all that more destructive and deadly because they're attacking the church when it's vulnerable. You know, the church thinks that they're one of them and then they bring in these teachings and start to sneak them in. Um, so it, it's a call to be vigilant, I think, uh, because they're coming in secretly. Um, but um, there is, yeah, go ahead, Sean. I, I want to interject at that point. Yeah. And how despicable is that? Because yeah. we as believers in Christ yep. are supposed to treat our brothers and sisters well with love and yeah. not to be suspicious of them, uh, but to be charitable towards them. So when uh, the false teacher comes in and they need to come in sneakily, obviously the person walking in saying, oh, I don't actually believe Jesus Christ is God or what, whatever the her heresy might be um, for their own selfish gain, they need to present themselves as a Christian. Uh, but how, how horribly despicable that is that, that you're, you're coming in and preying upon people that are, told commanded to be nice and to think the best of you it's, it's yeah evil. 
Yeah, it is. And it, it's taking the Lord's name in vain, too. You know, you're yes. you're claiming things about God. You're saying, oh, yeah, I love God, but then you lie. So you're, you're calling God's name down in a way that is um, flippant and irreverent. So, yeah, they're, it's very unloving. It's very unloving. Yeah, you're not seeking the good of your neighbor at that point. Yeah. Nope. Um, and, and then James, in verse 4, he reaffirms uh, Christ's deity. Now he calls him master and, and Lord. I don't know how the King James renders it, Sean, if it's the same or not, but I'm um, using the, the ESV. But it's a master and Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an affirmation of his uh, of his deity, um, that he is Lord and he is master. Kurios is the Greek word there for Lord. Is it the same? Which verse was this? Verse 4? Verse 4, yeah. So uh, it actually renders it as uh, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I happen to know the underlying Greek. I don't think it's the same word. Like one is despotes and one is kyrios. Okay. Which is probably why the ESV decided to translate them as slightly different words. But in the KJV, it's, it's Lord and Lord. Okay. Okay. Uh, Either way, the, the same principle is there that Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. And this is going back to his, uh, to an affirmation of his deity uh, by virtue of confessing his authority. Um, and now, and then you move on to verses five through seven. So we'll read that real quick. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that uh, Jesus, or uh, as other translations say, Lord, we'll talk about that in a second, but Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe in the angels who did not say within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Um, now in verse five in the ESV, it's rendered uh, as Jesus. And, and there's some, most translations I think have it as Lord, um, and this, I think, is the ESV just trying to capture what is uh, being thought of here, continuing from verse four. The, his deity was already affirmed, and uh, the, the same thought is that Jesus is being uh, referred to back here. Um, it, it, we see um, uh, the rendering of Lord. You find it in Sinaiticus, the Byzantine tradition. Um, Vaticanus renders it as Jesus, but it's probably Lord. Uh, based on the textual evidence. Either way, Jesus is being referred to here. Verse 4, I think, makes that very clear that uh, Christ is the one who brought them out of Egypt because Lord is being used of Christ in verse 4, so Lord would be the only natural conclusion that verse 5 would be uh, referring to. Either way, it's pointing back to Christ's deity in the Old Testament. So this means that the God of Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3 that said, you know, told the Israelites that I am has sent you. Uh, that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. And and so the great I am that brought them out of Egypt, that made a covenant with uh, the people of Israel um, and saved them, that was Jesus Christ. And so this is a clear affirmation of, of Christ's deity in the Old Testament um, as well as the new. Um, and then he goes to this other language, like in verses six and seven, he calls back to different, um, or particularly in verse seven, he calls back to different Old Testament um, stories, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, they were in, in 
this, uh, they were living in sin, they were living in evil, and then they were destroyed by God. So there's this judgment for sin that is being realized here. Um, and really, I think it's those that leave God's way for false teaching are going to end up like them. The false teachers and those who follow after it will be eternally condemned. So he's basically saying, um, you, you know, those who live this way, those who follow the false teaching are going to end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're going to be punished by God. And we know how that ended. God rained down fire from heaven on that city with only a few being saved uh, because of their great evil. So he's likening the punishment of the false teachers and those who follow false teaching with Sodom and Gomorrah and that type of punishment. Um, so it's, in other words, he's calling it the seriousness of this, of false teaching, what it does, it's destructive uh, eternally. And I think that's kind of in line with what Paul told Timothy. You know, if you teach sound teaching and sound doctrine, you'll not only save yourself, but those who hear you. Meaning that you're the sound doctrine, the gospel, uh, biblically consistent teaching is going to have a positive effect, generally speaking, on those who hear. Um, if God chooses to save them through that, then they will be saved. It has life-giving um, effects, but false teaching damns the soul. So I think that's uh, that's what we see here. You want to add um, anything to that, Sean? Yeah, I will actually. Um because uh, in, in the current day, there's a, a little bit of an argument going back and forth about whether the Greek word arsenokoites should be rendered homosexual. Um, specifically, people trying to say that the Bible actually doesn't consume, hom condemn homosexuality. And um, you'll note that while obviously I do believe that the passages that use that word do condemn it, uh, you don't necessarily need that in order to um, know that the Bible condemns it. For example, verse 7 of Jude, uh, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are mm -hmm. sent forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Um, so the what Jude is bringing out here is the fact that this is their sin, that they were fornicators. And the word fornication can have a broader meaning than merely um, heterosexual fornication. And then going after strange flesh, obviously it's unnatural for a man to go after a man. So mm -hmm. um, even, even if we were to concede that for some reason arsenokoites doesn't mean uh, homosexual, there's more, uh, more than just that as biblical evidence for... Um, the Bible condemning homosexuality. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. It, the ESV calls it an unnatural desire, but it's the same principle, unnatural desire or, or different flesh. It's not natural. I guess yeah. the point it's not natural. Um, yeah. And, and what's interesting is um, he ties the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah directly to that sin. You know, it, yep. it's the sin of homosexuality and sexual morality. That really was, the linchpin that uh, God destroyed them for probably in addition to other things, but that was one that stood out as particularly abominable and that Genesis 19 um, highlights very graphically. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. So false teaching is on par with this. So that that's kind of essentially, I think was Jude is trying to say, this is serious business and uh, it's to be avoided. Um, but moving on to verse eight, uh, verses 8 and 9. 
Yet in like manner, those people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, this is kind of an, an interesting section uh, on verse 9. We'll get to get to that in just a second. Um, but verse 8 is kind of going back to 2 Peter 2 is a parallel with that. Uh, I'll just read real quick. Uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, it says, But like these, uh, but these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage of the wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's uh, madness. So there's this same kind of principle here uh, shown in Second Peter 2, that they're rejecting authority. They um, are baseless, essentially. They're like irrational animals. They just are just doing their baseless desires, just following their sinful desires. Um, and they're doing it in the context of the church. Um, it, you know, Second uh, Peter says that, they eat with them, right? They're feasting with them. Oh, they're these are they're sitting shoulder to shoulder with other Christians, acting as if they're one of them, but they are really uh, irrational animals, like irrational animals, just pursuing their own sinful desires and bringing in these false teachings. Uh, and then verse nine is interesting, and I, I did a little bit of research on this. The Reformation Study Bible is actually helpful, but this is really a quote or a reference probably to the, the book called The Assumption of Moses, which expounds upon the story of the death of Moses found in Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 through 6, which says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial till this day. So it expounds upon that. Uh, it's I think it would be considered apocalyptic literature, um, certainly not uh, scripture, but something that James seems to be, or Jude, I'm sorry, seems to be uh, alluding to. Um, the Reformation Study Bible said, as usually interpreted, Jude's point is that the rash talk of the false teachers contrasts with the temperate speech of Michael, Second uh, Peter 2.10 in note. Others interpret Jude as contrasting Michael's appeal to God's authority with the false teachers' claim to have their own spiritual authority. And that's probably uh, what's being talked about here, especially in light of their rejection um, uh, of uh, the things of God early on, as described in verse 8. Um, so that's probably what's being talked about here. They're rejecting God's authority. They appeal to their own authority. This is what um, you know the, the teaching should be. This is what sound doctrine is, even though it's not what God has taught. So there, there seems to be a contrast being made here between uh, what Michael did and what uh, what the false teachers are doing. But uh, the Archangel Michael is definitely a real character in Scripture. He's described in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel 12, and Revelation 12. Um, so he is uh, a real um, angel uh, that has done work in the Scriptures. 
Uh, but moving on to verse 10, uh, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So again, the, the irrational animal uh, comment is coming out again that we saw from Second Peter 2. Um, but essentially, they, they're blaspheming the things of God. And I just mentioned this earlier. Now they're taking the Lord's name in vain. So they're claiming to be speaking the things of God in God's name and claiming to be uh, along, you know, in the group of true believers that follow God and follow the things of God, yet they blaspheme God. So they're really bringing repose upon the name of Christ in their false teaching and by hating their neighbors, by spreading false teaching to them. And that's really, I think, where the contrast is shown here between Michael and um, and the false teachers themselves. Uh, moving on to verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. I really like how Jude goes back to the Old Testament. It's like he's using it as his authority and saying, look, this is what happened to these guys back here. So I have these guys back here. Do you really want to go down that road? You know, if you follow this false teaching, if these false teachers continue the way, they're going to end up like these, uh, like these people. Um, so he mentions Balaam. Uh, that was the prophet found in uh, Numbers 31, uh, 16, or in the book of Numbers, at least, in a couple of different places. Um, but he also mentions Korah's rebellion. This is found in Numbers chapter 16. Um, and I want to read a passage from here with the story of it, because I, I think it will help us to understand where Jude is going and the seriousness of the false teacher's sin, um, because he's talking about the, the punishment of what happened with Korah as being similar to what would be punished with the false teachers. So this is from Numbers 16, verses 20 through 35. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you will and you and will you be angry uh, with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. A uh, Abram, Abram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed them. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive in shield, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And the fire came, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So a pretty, uh, pretty horrible way to die. 
you know, the, the earth opens up, a, the earth opens up under you and you're going down to Sheol and in scripture, Sheol is really the, the abode of the dead. I think it's probably what that's referring to. But in other words, they, they went down to the abode of the dead um, alive. So they were buried alive in the earth. Um, and so it, it was really a terrible, and it wasn't just Korah, it was his entire family, his wife and his kids, because of his sin, he led a rebellion against Moses. They spoke out against the man of God. And the false teachers, um, in a sense, would be speaking out against the man of God or, who, or the elders. They would be causing dissension. They would be um, trying to push against what they are teaching and their authority that was established and is established by Christ. And so to do that, has serious consequences. And, and I think that Jude is assuming that his readers or his listeners are know the story. He just says, you know, they imperish in Korah's rebellion. He's saying it in a very generic sense. I think he understands that they, or he's assuming that they know what the story is. So he's pointing to the seriousness of this. Now, this is what it will lead to. It has serious consequences. What you teach to the people of God is very important. Being right is absolutely imprecise and accurate in your language is very important when we're talking about the things of God. And the false teachers don't care about that. They just spew lies and they blaspheme flippantly. They don't care. They just keep uh, perpetrating wickedness. And so their fate will be like Korah in his household. Um, and we see kind of finishing up uh, with verses 12 and 13, uh, these are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Um, so he again talks about them being with the people of God. They're at their love feast and the love feast is probably referring to uh, the Lord's Supper. It, I guess it could be referring to something else, but I, I think it's probably referring to the Lord's Supper. It basically saying they're with you, worshiping you. They're in the congregation with you. They're among you participating in the activities of worshiping God. Um, but it says that they feast with you without fear. They don't have any fear of uh, their sin coming upon them. Um, they're acting as if they're among them. So they've really assimilated themselves as part of the visible Christian community, uh, which is a, a scary thing to think about. You know, we we don't really know sometimes who comes into the church or who might be uh, coming in with ulterior motives. But, you know, we the elders and, and the leadership of the church have to be vigilant uh, as we are teaching the people of God and making sure that we know what sound doctrine is so that when false doctrine raises its head out of our own ranks, we can stamp it down very quickly and say, nope, nope, we're not going to go with that. That is against scripture. It's evil. Stay away from it and properly rebuke those as needed. Um, but these people are living among the people of God and they're eating at their love feasts without fear. They've completely assimilated themselves. And I think that's really where the danger lies is they come from our own ranks. These aren't people that just coming from the outside necessarily and make themselves known. They come from among us and we think they're one of us. Um, so that should really 
help us as Christians to be ever vigilant and watching and listening to what's going on in our ranks. Not that we're suspicious of everybody all the time, but that we are being cautious and careful uh, because that's, see, that's typically where false teachers come from is from among our own ranks. So picking up at uh, verse 13, um, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Um, so the false teachers are described as raging waves of the sea. And raging waves are obviously dangerous. They're uncontrollable. Um, it's not something that you would necessarily want to be around. And then he brings out this interesting idea of that they're foaming out their own shame. Um, the after effects of a wave is, is foam. So the, uh, I think the metaphor he's going for is the results of the actions of the false teachers is to their shame although they don't necessarily realize that they could be ashamed, but what they do after they've uh, crashed as the wave, after they've done their damage, it's to their shame, but um, they don't, they continue on. They don't realize that their actions should have caused them a shame. Uh, then he also describes them as wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Um, the stars, as we know from uh, Genesis, uh, were meant to be, um, meant to keep time reading from Genesis one verse 14 through verse uh, 16. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. He made the stars also. So the stars are for help because of their regularity. We're able to mark uh, seasons, days, and years. But a wandering star is no help to anyone. All it's going to do is create confusion. And that's ultimately what these false teachers are doing. They're not on the path that's prescribed by God. They're wandering about and uh, causing confusion and um, harm. Also, we see that uh, stars are often associated with the angelic host. Um, Revelation describes that one third of the stars fell from heaven uh, during uh, Satan's rebellion. Uh, thus, we can sort of get the idea that these teachers have the appearance of um, being godly, being like they're from heaven, but they're not. Um, elsewhere, Paul says that uh, um, Satan describes himself as an angel of light. It is no wonder then that his ministers do also. And if you read in context, the ministers, they aren't other angels. They're actually false teachers. Um, false teachers just present themselves as if they are godly, as if they are of the light, but they're not. Um, and then Jude reminds us that just like the devil, um, these false teachers are going to be in the outer darkness. Um, it's originally a place reserved for the devil, or at least by design, it's a place reserved for the devil and his angels, but ultimately they will be there also. Um, continuing on verse 14 and Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
So this actually ends up being a quotation from what's called First Enoch. And as Dan was going uh, talking about earlier with the allusion to the um, assumption of Moses, this has created an issue in some people's mind because Jude is referencing books that are not canonical. They are not scripture. And that creates a question of, well, if Jude is quoting from these, should they be considered scripture? And ultimately, I would say no. Um, the church, by and large, has not recognized these as scripture. And to me, they don't bear the marks of scripture, especially um, First Enoch, which actually uh, creates a little bit of a, con if it were to be scripture, would create a contradiction. Um, it describes uh, the angels as the ones being uh, the ones that built the ark instead of um, uh, Noah. So a little bit of a contradiction there. So what do, how are we to make of these uh, quotations or allusions? And ultimately, the way I would view it is um, Jude is perfectly free to reference something that's true um, in another work. For example, we don't precisely know what the background of First Enoch is. This quotation might have been an oral tradition that was ultimately true, um, that Enoch prophesied and the Jews knew about. And then someone came later and wrote this book that included this quotation that they knew to be true. Um, but regardless whether or not what precisely happened, um, we do know that because it is in the word of God, it is true. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the source it comes from in its entirety should be in its entirety should be considered scripture. Yeah. Can I interject real quick, Sean? Yes. Um, just following up on that, that's a good point about quoting these because Paul will quote um, secular poets, you know, like he did in yep. uh, gives an Acts 17. Yep. Um, you know, like where he says, for we are all his offspring. You know, that was a quotation. And I correct me if I misquoted that, but I, that's basically what he said. Yep. And that is a that's a quotation from secular uh, sources. Right. And so I think the the part that we have to remember is that the scripture is not in the source itself. The scripture is in the quotation of the source. Yes, exactly. So he's, he's just simply quoting something that is true, that it, that existed in, in his historical time. But that doesn't make the, the source itself scripture. Yeah. The scripture is the quotation of it. Yeah. Um, you know, the writers of these books, you know, they, they weren't divorced from the historical context they were in and they were influenced by real historical, um, things that were surrounding them. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that as well, but yeah. And ultimately you can't even exactly say what the, the background is to this. Again, if it's, if it's truly a true quotation that the Jews knew about, and then somebody later writes a book that contains all sort of falsehoods, but happens to contain the true quotation. Well, that's not going to make the rest of the book true by extension. Jude doesn't necessarily identify these things as scripture. So we are not obligated to take them as scripture. Um, but we know that because Jude is scripture, that uh, the quotations themselves are true. Um, moving on a little bit. Um, sorry, I lost my place there. Um, uh, moving on to uh, verse, or talking about verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their harsh speeches, which Un, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He, uh, Jude is really hammering home the fact that these are ungodly people. And you might wonder why such that emphasis. And again, 
with people who present themselves as believers or someone you're like, I'm not sure about that person. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily call out a brother, but um, I'm getting a lot of red flags from this person. He's, he's hammering this home. These are ungodly people and you should treat them as such. They're, they're false teachers. Um, we, we shouldn't be treating them necessarily charitably like we would an actual brother. Um, and then it says that, uh, he's going to convince all of these that are ungodly. So, uh, when Jesus comes back, I take this as a reference to the second coming when Jesus comes back with 10,000 saints to convince all those that are ungodly, that's going to make them recognize, Oh, I was very much the wrong. Like it will, it will convict them. It will show them of their wickedness. Because right now it's very easy to uh, go about and not worry about any consequences because we don't see it on the horizon. But when Jesus comes back, all that all that false uh, hope, I guess you could say, is is gonna fall away. And then it makes uh, Jude makes a specific point uh, that they're he's going they're going to be convicted of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sp sinners have spoken against him. And he's emphasizing, there's a lot obviously that false teachers can do that's sinful and harmful. Um, we, we know of false teachers, you know, that end up committing adultery or whatever other horrible sin might be associated. They might rob the church or whatever. But ultimately what he's highlighting here is the fact that what they're speaking is blasphemy. It's evil. They're claiming to represent Christ. They're claiming to represent God and uh, they're, they're lying in his name. And that mm. is, that is one of the primary things that they will be convicted of um, for their wickedness and their misrepresentation of the God they claim to represent. Moving on to uh, verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers walking after their own lusts. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Um, so Jude is bringing out something here that's a, uh, a little interesting, that they're murmurers and complainers. Um, that's not necessarily the first thing I would associate with false teachers. But I could very well see that um, in order for false teachers to gain power, they need to spread dissension because if you have a, a church where there's godly leadership and they're trying to take over, what are they going to do? They're going to spread uh, rumors. They're going to try to backbite and get uh, the congregation turned against uh, the true shepherds. That's, mm -hmm. and that's, that's the means by which they're going to attempt to do that. So um, you can see that too with uh I think going back to like Korah's rebellion, that started mm -hmm. with murmuring, you know, well, we don't like what uh, Moses yeah. and or Aaron are doing. So we're yeah. going to take matters into our own hands. Yeah. I think it's kind of along those same lines. Yeah. And ultimately, while perhaps we won't necessarily agree with every single decision that our leaders make, if the decision isn't sinful, you might think it's, it's not the smartest decision, but if the decision isn't sinful, we are to submit uh, to the leaders within our, our church um, and yeah. we're to do it without grumbling or backbiting or murmuring. Mm. Um, so if you see someone doing that, warn, warn them as a brother, um, obviously come to them as a brother and let them know that they probably shouldn't be doing that. Or if you find yourself mm -hmm. doing that, correct yourself just because somebody's doing that doesn't mean somehow they're a false teacher automatically. 
But if you see somebody that's doing this as a pattern, well, hey, you should probably be following the uh, the steps of church discipline laid out in uh, <laughs> Matthew 18. But um, uh, yeah, be, be on guard for the person that's always seems to be rumor mongering in the background. Hmm. Um, verse 17, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that, that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Um, so this is the section I referenced earlier in the opening that, um, appears to make it that Jude is not one of the apostles because he's saying, remember the words spoken of the apostles that they told you there should be mockers, not that we told you there should be mockers. Um, it's also interesting. This is almost, as uh, um, Dan uh, was saying earlier, this is almost the same as a, a section in Second Peter, although this time it's Second Peter 3, 2. It's almost word the word for same, uh, the same. And it appears that this is actually a, a direct apostolic teaching that in the last times, there will be mockers uh, who walk after their own ungodly lusts. Mm. And um, if this is an apostolic teaching, then we, we shouldn't at all be surprised when we see it in the modern day. Um, sometimes, mm. uh, especially younger Christians, might get the idea that the, uh, the church is um, supposed to be resilient and always unified. And then <laughs> there's a little bit of shock when like issues spring up in the church. Um, but we're, this is, this is prophesied. This is told to us that these sorts of things are going to happen. It doesn't mean that that church, oh, that church is just horribly corrupt. Look at that issue of schism that's going through it. It's no, that, that very well might be happening for good reason to separate the true believers from the false. Um, and we should, uh, we should pray for those brothers. We should encourage reconciliation if possible, but ultimately this is something that's going to happen so we shouldn't be shocked when it comes upon us mm -hmm. and then um moving on to uh verse 19 these be they who separate themselves sensual having not the spirit so the obvious question and i don't know how the esv renders it um what does it mean that they separate themselves so i i really was able to come up with two options Either they pretend to separate themselves from the world, like they're ascetics, so they're trying to set themselves up as super spiritual. Oh, look, I'm, I'm separated from the world, which is a, a possibility. Um, what verse it, was that again, Sean? I'm sorry. This is verse 19. Okay. Uh, it says in the ESV, it was these who caused divisions, worldly people devoid mm. of the spirit. Okay. All right. And that would go more into the, the second interpretation I have, which I think is probably the correct interpretation. It's uh, those who separate themselves from the church or from God. Um, mm. Well, I think obviously there can be false teachers that separate themselves from the world to try and build some sort of cult, cult following that would seem out of character for the way that um, Jude is talking about these false teachers because these are very much going after ungodly lusts. They're very... Um, seeking after worldly things it appears from my reading so i would say that he's probably not dealing with ascetics um directly and it's it's more of the idea that he they've actually separated themselves by their actions from god or they're creating mm. divisions 
um, where they, uh, in order to gain power for some other advantage. Um, and this is actually in contrast to the next, um, the next verse, but ye beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy ghost. And then verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So contrasting um, those that are um, separating themselves and sensual, not having the spirit, we as believers are to be building ourselves up in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and then we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, looking uh, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So then the question becomes, what does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? And again, I think there could be two things, although I think one is more likely than the other. Um, one, that we keep ourselves in God's love, um, that we would not fall out of his love for us. And uh, the second is that we keep ourselves in our love for God. And of the two, I, I definitely think it's uh, the latter. Um, it would seem weird to me that Jude was promoting the idea that we can keep ourselves in the love of God when uh, God's love towards us is unmerited. That's when he's gracious towards us, when he shows his love upon us, it's not because of anything in us. It's because of, uh, because of him. So I would not tend to think it's the, the first interpretation. And as we'll see, when we um, go to verse 24, God is able to keep us from falling. So even if we were going in that direction, God loves us and he will, he will keep us on the correct path. So it's not necessarily that we should be keeping ourselves in God loves in that sense. But um, there are times during the Christian life where we might grow cold in our love towards God. Mm -hmm. And ultimately Jude is keeping a, or giving a warning for that, that you should always keep yourself in the love of God, making sure that you are, showing uh, him the love that he is worthy of, remembering that he is he is worthy of all affection. For Working out your done. salvation. Yes. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, verse 22, and ha of some have compassion, making a difference. And uh, I know there's a, a textual variant here, which I won't necessarily uh, comment on. I will just... Uh, yeah, the ESV is like on those uh, and have mercy on those who doubt. Mm -hmm. I will uh, just comment on the uh, KJV as I uh, take it to be correct. Um, what is what is the difference here? Um, well, I think verse twenty three will shed some light onto this. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So he's talking about groups of people here. So, and some have compassion making a difference. So we're to make a distinction between people that are false teachers and people that are going astray. Um, because ultimately it might, they might look similar from a certain vantage point, but ultimately we are to make that distinction that, okay, this person is clearly a false teacher. I need to treat them as such. Whereas, okay, this, this brother is getting involved in some sin. I need to warn them and try and bring them out mm. of the, uh, of those flames and uh, verse 23 and others saving with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So the obvious question is what is this garment that um, Jude is alluding to? And I think this is allude an allusion to Leviticus uh, 15. There's a, um, 
it's a part of the Levitical law that if a person came into contact with something unclean, they were to wash even their clothes as the clothes were to be considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And I think this is in a, he's using this as an example as how we are to be. Uh, anything that has become contaminated with un, anything unclean, if it's unclean thoughts or corrupt dealings, we are to just to avoid. We're to hate that thing that's become spotted. Um, to quote Matthew Poole on this verse, uh, that when we reprehend others, we should do it with uh, suitable affections. And though we would save themselves, we should hate their vices and anything that promotes them or uh, savors them. So we are to remain unspotted from the world, um, hating even the garment that may have become unclean. Uh, verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy, um, to the only wise God, our savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, amen. So Jude here, ends with a reminder of hope after a letter that could be somewhat discouraging uh, going through how uh, there's all these corrupt uh, teachers and uh, people wandering through the faith. He reminds us that God is able to keep us. And he reminds us uh, as he uh, says with exceeding joy. Um, this is, um, this is, this is the Christian's hope right here that even though we walk through this world and things are falling apart around us, we have a God that is able to keep us and we can trust in him. That's a, a, a wonderful uh, hope for the believer. And verse 25, to the only wise God, our savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Uh, God alone is wise. He's, he's also powerful. And this is, this is how we should, this is how we should think about things. Soli day of Gloria, right? Jude ends his, letter with a, a praise to God and a recognition of who he is. Ultimately, we need to live all things to the glory of God. That's how we should conduct ourselves in this life. So um, I think it's a very appropriate way to end the letter. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. Uh, going back to verse 23, um, I see a, a note here. It says the, the underlying Greek word essentially is, I think it's chitin, chitin. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It says a long garment worn under the cloak mm. next to the skin. So, you know, if you were unclean in any way, like if you had leprosy or something like that, those things that were on the person touching them had to be done away with. They were unclean too. They're, I think it was their house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certain times some people had to go outside the camp. It was everything. So there's, and it preambles that with, you know, to show to others show mercy with fear uh, there is a certain level of fear that we have to have in correcting those who are in false mm -hmm. teaching so that we don't fall into it too. Mm -hmm. um, I think Paul talks about that in Galatians six, when we're correcting believers, yeah, correct them, but be careful. You don't fall into their sin too. Um, there's a caution. I think that we have to have when we're dealing with false teaching um, that we're not sucked into it. And I think mm -hmm. there's a danger in, seeping ourselves into too much uh, of the opposing side of whatever it might be is you might start to go let that seep in and it might pull you onto their position and you leave the truth, whatever it might be. Um, and, and these are not very nice words for, um, you know, for false teachers. 
uh, we're to hate the garment even stained by the flesh. I think the implication there is we're to there is a certain sense of hatred we're to have for that person mm-hmm. if they continue in that. You know, you're you're calling out to them, don't go down that way, don't go down that way. But if they continue, wash your hands and be done with mm-hmm. it. You know, they're they're yeah. they're on the way to hell, and you've done your part and you move on. Um, false teachers are kind of put in their own category in terms of how the scripture mm-hmm. talks about them. Those who twist the truth. Um, so yeah, I, I just say that in passing. But yeah, if uh, we hope this has been beneficial, it, just to it, be on the lookout for false teaching. Uh, it does not go away. The evil one never sleeps. The enemy never sleeps. Um, and we must be vigilant. We must be on guard. Um, and the way we do that, and our pastor actually, he's preaching through First Timothy. Uh, pastor Steve Clevenger, he's been on the show before. Um, he talks about how we can know what false teaching is by knowing what the truth is, right? If we know what the truth is and what sound doctrine is, we can spot the false teaching. Um, and that's really the best way we can understand what false teaching is. If we know what the gospel is, well, we know it well. When we see something different or that contradicts that out in the wild and it pokes its head up, we can go, nope, nope, that's not what sound doctrine says. That's not what the yeah. scriptures say. Yeah, and- you'll... You'll note that in Jude, um, he doesn't ever describe specifically any teaching. It's almost like he's expecting believers to be able to identify That's false teachers. That's a good point. Because if you are rooted in sound doctrine, it doesn't matter how they present themselves. If they present themselves as godly, you'll, you'll know immediately. You can present yourself that way, but what you're saying completely contradicts it. I don't think you're a true teacher. I don't think you're yeah. a true shepherd. And I think that's why it's very concerning. Like if we see uh, believers going down a certain road and and they're starting maybe to embrace false teaching and and you're getting very concerned, like, oh, there's something not right here. We need to correct this. And it's a sign of immaturity. If you're not in the word, if you're not in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day consistently, you know, partaking of the sacraments, um, particularly the Lord's table and, and hearing preaching, uh, it's going to, I think, put you in a position that will set you up for failure. Because if we don't know what the scriptures say, we're going to uh, be led astray. It, it's just an inevitable aspect of it. In some way, shape, or form, I think we will be led astray if we neglect the means of grace God has given us. Mm-hmm. And he's given us these means. And if we neglect them it, and bad things happen, what did you expect to happen? <laughs> you know? Uh, if you don't read his word on a regular basis, do you expect to know when uh, someone comes along and says Jesus was only a man? You know, if you don't know what the Bible says about uh, mm-hmm. Christology. So it's very important that we we are seeped in the things of God, particularly through the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, or we have the tendency to forget. I can't tell you how many times that I've come back to something and be like, I already knew this. Or like, I definitely used to know this a lot better, but I've, I've, I've forgotten. If you're not constantly renewing your mind in the word of God, you might think, oh yeah, you know, I've been through the Bible a couple of times. I, I, I'm good. I, I know what it teaches. And then you find yourself five years later and you're in, you're in terrible straits. Like what happened? It's, well, yeah, you, you weren't, you weren't constantly reminding yourself of what God has said and as you live your life, you, you start to drift and you don't even realize it. So 
take take advantage of those means. The word of yeah. God is able to able to make us wise unto salvation. It has mm-hmm. all we need. Um, scriptures are sufficient. Take advantage of that as you walk through this life. You won't regret it. Yeah, and it doesn't take much to get off the path. It does mm-hmm. not take much at all. Yep, we have to we have to seep our minds with the things of God. Yep, and, and that's what Psalm one says, right? The the righteous man is meditating on God's law day and night. It's constantly on his mind. It's the word of God is constantly before him, and that guides his steps. It's his light unto his path. So, yeah. Oh, Keith, thank you, uh, thank you for the kind words. I hope uh, this talk today and the show has been beneficial to you. Um, but with that, we will close and. Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Sean is actually going to be teaching at our church, Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, next week, and we'll be uh, planning on doing a stream from there. So join us then. Uh, But with that, have a great weekend, and everyone have a great Lord's Day. God bless you all.